Welcome everyone to the Nerd Journey Podcast. Our goal is to help technical professionals accelerate their career progression, increase their job satisfaction, and bring you the advice we wish had been given earlier in our careers. I'm your host, John White, at VJourneyman on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Nick Corty, at NetworkNerd underscore. We both work in the tech industry with backgrounds in IT operations and sales engineering. We hope our career discussions will be vendor neutral, relevant across disciplines, and remain timeless. If you're enjoying our content, please drop us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, tweet or DM at Nerd Journey. Ultimately, we're just two nerds on a journey. A journey to career enlightenment. So let's take a trip. We also wanted to mention that our second site, graph.nerd-journey.com, is also live. That's the knowledge graph and linked notes version of our main page's show notes that we developed to make it easier to explore our episodes, guests, and topics. Episode 239 is coming your way right now. Today we start a new series of interviews with special guest Kenneth Ellington. He's a cybersecurity consultant, an instructor, and the owner of Ellington Cyber Academy. So maybe you're wondering to yourself, how exactly does the owner of a cyber academy get into the cybersecurity field in the first place? Sometimes people in your life help you make a connection. I want you to listen to the story of a connection someone made for Kenneth that springboarded him into cybersecurity. And we'll talk more about the reasons why that connection was made in the outro. Kenneth will talk about why he liked cybersecurity or liked the idea of pursuing it, what it took for him to get there, and how did being part of a cybersecurity community push him into becoming an instructor and a coursework developer. Kenneth will also give us some perspective on being a business owner. How is that different than just being a cybersecurity consultant? What are some of the things that he's had to learn in trying to get people to invest in themselves? So let's get right to it. Here we go with part one of our discussion with Kenneth Ellington. Kenneth Ellington, welcome to the Nerd Journey Podcast. Thank you. Appreciate being on with you guys today. Awesome. Hey, can you tell us uh, what it is that you do today, what your role is? Sure. So my day job, I'm a senior cybersecurity consultant, and I specialize in cinema store technologies. So think of Splunk, QRadar, Microsoft Sentinel, technologies in the blue team, and Point Realm. Um, it's my job to basically design solutions of technologies for our various clients, make sure they're happy with their needs. Cool. Tell us a little bit about how you got into technology as a career, or or maybe even back up, like, is that something that you were always interacting with, even as a kid? No, I had no interest in technology when I was younger. I enjoyed cooking. That's what I focused on when I was in high school. Um, it's funny, actually, my dad's a software engineer. He's been for the past like 25 years, or a little bit longer now. He's the one that kind of questioned me and my brother to get inside of tech. So... Back in like when I was in middle school, my dad made me do a code academy um, course during like middle school for the summer. And I thought it was like the lamest thing ever. So he made me do it. And I'm like, dad, you're basically telling me you sit all day in a room, you type on a keyboard and people pay you thousands of dollars to do this. This is the stupidest thing ever. Why would, it, why would everyone want to do this? So when I graduated from high school, my undergrad and my associate's degree was in business administration. And then, and then when I transferred to USF or, or the University of South Florida, my major was business management. It wasn't until like my junior year. That's when I really started to kind of like niche and specialize down into IT because I want a better job prospects. So I asked my dad, I'm like, dad, so what, so what should I specialize in? He's like, how about IT count? I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh my, that's a great idea. So that's kind of how I got inside of the IT realm. I started to focus on it. Then from there, I worked at public supermarkets. So if any of you have ever like lived in the South, like Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, that, that's where you shop at, right? I love I loved working there. Um, I have crazy stories from there. Um, but I worked I worked there all throughout college. I worked at deli. I fried chicken and made sandwiches and everything in between. So one of the things I t I told to my students is make sure people know what you want to do so they're able to speak on your behalf when you're when you're not inside the room, right? So I told all of my managers that I was interested in doing IT and tried to and kind of want to focus on that for my career. 
And so my store manager at the time, Lori, told me, she's like, hey, Kenneth, um, do you have a second? I'm like, sure thing, Lori. She's like, the director of Publix for cybersecurity wants to come towards our store in a couple of weeks. Do you want to meet him? I'm like, yes, of course. And Publix's headquarters was like 10 to 15 miles away from where I grew up. So it was like right down the corner, basically. So um, Rick Rampola, um, who, was, who was like one of the um, senior managers there, he came towards our store. Um, he sat me down in a room. We talked. And honestly, before I met him, I had no idea honestly what cybersecurity was or that Publix did it. I thought we sold groceries, honestly. So I was very shocked by it. So he's like, Kenneth, I would love to have you in my internship team for next year because it was at June, summer of 2018. So they already had an intern for that summer, right? So he's like, Kenneth, you can do everything on the list that I gave you, right? Go to certain conferences, do some certain courses, shadow us for a couple of days. He said he can almost guarantee me a spot on, on his internship team next year. He's like, can you do it? I'm like, of course I can. So fast forward, I do everything on the list they told me to. I interview with this team that March, and I get the job. So that's how I kind of got inside cybersecurity. What I'm curious about here is, did he try to sell you on getting into cybersecurity, or was he merely just explaining what it was to you? Was it sort of like he's trying to recruit you to be an intern, because it sounded like you didn't quite know what cybersecurity was, but you definitely wanted to meet somebody who could get you into tech. Full disclosure, I had no idea what I was doing back then. But when you told me about it, I didn't really know too much about cybersecurity. I've heard of it in the news, but um, this is back in 2018, so it wasn't as popular as it is right now. So I heard about it, but I wasn't really sure what it was. But from the way you described it, it sounded really cool. I've always wanted to work at public corporate. I thought it'd be a pretty good opportunity for me. I do think that he wanted me to work for him because he saw my passion, my drive. But I think. From like working with Rick for a long time, I think he just wanted me to be in the best um, possible position, even if it, even if that wasn't with Publix. So I've always appreciated him for that. And how long was the internship program that you participated in? About three to four months. I love that he gave you a little training plan, like do all these things and here's how you can qualify or prepare yourself to be part of this program. It reminds me of the recent discussion, John, that we had with Chris Williams, where he was sharing... He gave someone a learning recipe for how to get into cloud engineering, and that person followed the advice exactly, and that's what they ended up doing. So I'm guessing that you followed his guidance on exactly what you needed to do to get into that program. Yeah, I literally started like the minute I got off of work. I was very excited. And what were some of the things that he recommended you do just for listeners out there get an idea? So I grew up in Tampa, Florida. That's where I'm from originally. So we have two security conferences that are really big in Tampa. One's B-Side Tampa, and the other is the Cybersecurity um, Conference because the Cybersecurity Center for Florida is in Tampa, Florida. It's actually at USF. Um, so those are two conferences he told me to go to, which I did. It was that study for Splunk. So get the Splunk core user certification release. Do, do the fundamentals one training. That and study for my Security Plus exam. I, I wasn't able, was able to take my Security Plus like after my internship team. But I was able to um, study for the fundamentals one and go to those two conferences. And the last part was for me to shadow his team. That, that was when it really clicked for me. Like I shadowed his team like four months after we met. And the minute, and like after that day, I'm like, okay, I, I'm going to work here. I'm like, I'm going to make it happen. That, that's what really kind of sold me. I really like that your manager from the deli made that connection for you. She recognized that you were eager to to get into something a little bit different and help to get you there. I look back at it now and it's like really crazy because there's no way I would have ever met Rick otherwise if she didn't like, introduce us. So that's why I always tell my students, like, please let people know what you're doing so people can speak on your behalf when you're not there. It's insanely important. All the, all the opportunities I've gotten in my life and my career have been because of that. Because I always let people know like what I'm doing and what I'm interested in. Because, yeah, I don't think I ever would have met Rick otherwise if Lori didn't um, um, introduce us. That's a really fascinating and, I don't know, such a good lesson right there, right? People have to know what it is that you want to do with your career, you know, because if you were working really hard to be the best deli clerk that you could be, and that's all that the store manager saw or the deli manager saw, then there would be no thought to connect you with somebody from corporate to go work in any kind of technology field, right? It would be maybe a little bit more along the lines of just what if, what if you wanted to be like, you know, career in store 
Publix employee, and then nothing would have happened the way that you described it. Yeah, I definitely did not want to be daily clerk forever. People like threatened me over like, a six dollar sandwich. I'm like, I'm not about this life. I'm like, I don't want to do this forever. So I made sure every opportunity that I saw that could help me level myself up, I did. So that was another one of the big sacrifices that I had to make. Because I worked two jobs for most of college. Um, there were some days I was so tired I slept in my car. I my, my house is too far away. I didn't feel safe driving because I was too tired. I would open, so I'll wake up like at four thirty, go to work like at six, uh, work from like six to two, drive to school, get there like two forty five, sleep in my car for like an hour, then have class from I had two classes, so like from four to six, then from like six thirty to nine o'clock. Then drive back home, study for two hours, go to sleep like at one o'clock, then wake up at four thirty again, and do it. So it was rough. You can ask my parents. They were always worried about me. Like, You're working so hard, Kenneth. I'm like, you guys came to the country with nothing. You guys rest everything for me and your brother to have these wonderful opportunities. So it's at least that I can do for myself, right? And it was worth it. I can say, looking back now, I wouldn't change anything about it. I have a really good life. Even like talking about the car thing, like I can afford whatever they tell me to do to get the car fixed. Five years ago, I could not, right? So it's completely worth it, that sacrifice. Oh, I see. You're, you mentioned before we started uh, recording that you're, there's something wrong, uh, not quite working correctly with your, your car engine. Yeah. But these days, that's just an inconvenience, not a, not a catastrophe. Five years ago, it was a catastrophe. I was crying. I was freaking out. I'm like, I can't afford this. I can't go to right. school. can't go to work. So a lot's changed. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's life-changing. Do you think that that cybersecurity person was there just to meet you, or was there actually something at the store to do? Oh, so Rick was shadowing the store. So he was going across the different departments to see what they did. So he would work in the deli for a couple hours and work in a bakery to see how he did. So he was there for other reasons, but um, he made he made time to talk to me for like an hour after. So I appreciate that from him. Was that part of an executive onboarding program, do you think? Or was he a longtime employee already at that point? He's been a, I think he was a post for like maybe four years at that point. Hmm. But him talking to me was like completely of his own free will. Well, that's fascinating that even somebody who works at corporate will occasionally uh, rotate through and do several store jobs. You tend to not lose touch with what's going on in the front line if you have to work in the front line. Absolutely. When it comes to circumstances like these internships that Rick was telling you about, is that something that now looking back on it, you see people doing that? earlier in their career or are internships something that don't really have an age limit if you want to gain experience and skills? Specifically as it relates towards Publix, most of the interns were, I'd say between like 20 and 25 um, when I was there. So they're all pretty young. I believe you need to be in college for the internship for Publix specifically. But I know different companies have different restrictions and requirements for it. I know, it, it, I know it starts to expand with different apprenticeships like that as well. So I think it all varies. And after the internship, it sounds like you had this solidified idea of what your career could look like and what you wanted it to look like. How did that affect what it was that you were doing in school? Like the minute I figured out that I wanted to be in cybersecurity, like my head was down. I'm like, nothing's going to stop me. Like no one's going to get in my way. So that was a real eye-opener for me because like, my first two years, I didn't really know I w- what I wanted to do, right? So I kind of like, went through the motions a little bit. Um, I took it seriously, but it just wasn't like I didn't have like real passion, right, um, to figure out like what I wanted to do. Like the minute I knew that cybersecurity was what I wanted to do in my career, like no one, no- nothing could stop me. So like that was my complete focus for like two years of my life. It was hard. I had to call a lot of people because they didn't really get it and they weren't there to support me. If you're not there to support me, then... Why are you there, right? So a lot of people have to be let go, basically. But the friends I made, I'm still a friend to them this day. So they have that growth mindset, which is super important for me. It's something that I teach towards my students. Can I ever, not everyone's really your friend or there for you. A lot of people are just there because it's convenient. So making sure you have people that really care about you beyond cybersecurity or, or whatever you do, right? And that want to see you succeed, regardless if it's helpful towards them or not. Um, it's super, not super, insanely important. So like the minute I figured out, hey, cybersecurity is what what I want to do. Like every decision I made revolved around that, right? So all the, all the extra stuff I did after school was around that. Every internship I got after that was was catered towards that. And even at, even after the internship, I love Publix because you know it. Like after internships, 
if you don't like apply that knowledge, you'll lose it. And I don't want that to happen to me. So I joined Blacks and Cybersecurity. They're a minority-owned firm that specializes in helping out people of color to try to get them into cybersecurity by conferences, networking, career development. And I was a campus ambassador for them. So there I met a lot of different people in cybersecurity because there's not a lot of people that look at me in cybersecurity. So finding that positive community uh, has always been super important towards me. And I found it there. And I still do training for them to, to this day. So that was that was one way for me to continue my cybersecurity journey, even after my internship team. So they kind of provided some coursework that you could work through? Funny you should ask that, John. I actually developed the coursework for them for Slunk, actually. So now fast forward, I'm about to graduate. It's 2020, right? COVID hits, right? Terrible. No walk, no graduation. Virtual, terrible. Say goodbye to my teachers in February. I did mostly remote classes my last semester. Said bye. I'm like, all right, I'll see you guys in a couple of weeks. Didn't see them for a year and a half. But during that time, so I got a job offer from DTCC. I was going to start in July of 2020. So I had about a two-month period where I wasn't really doing anything. I graduated, so I was just waiting. I was bored out of my mind. I'm stuck in my parents' house doing nothing because you can't go anywhere. Everything's locked down, basically. This is because kind of their new graduate hiring program starts in July after when people typically graduate and not when you graduated? Yeah. Got it. Okay. So I'm sitting in my home, right? Um, then Michaela calls me. Michaela Barnett. She's the CEO of Blacks and Cybersecurity. She's like, hey, Kenneth, do you want to do a Splunk training? I'm like, sure, then, Michaela. But I'm like, um, who's going to be in charge of it? She's like, you are, Kenneth. I'm like, oh, I'm like, okay. Um, I can definitely do that. So I had to develop all the training from scratch. I developed the coursework, the modules, the labs. I gathered the proper articles for them to study. I taught that course. It was like half a day on Saturday. And when I taught it, everyone loved it. I thought it was absolute trash, but people said I did a really good job. And I was like, well, really? They're like, yeah, I can't, um, you're an awesome teacher. I'm like, you guys being serious? They're like, yeah. I'm like, oh. I'm like, okay. I continued to teach for them for like a year and a half. I taught it like every four to six months. People kept telling me how much I loved it. Then one day, this is about a year and a half ago, someone's like, hey, Kenneth, if you actually charge for this, I would pay you. I'm like, really? I'm like, okay. So that's kind of how I got the idea to start ECA or Allenton Cyber Academy, which is a company that I actually own. Because someone told someone just basically told me that, like, you're good enough, Kenneth, you should charge for it. So that's how kind of how that got started. Go back to the community piece. You know, you were you were part of this group, the Blacks in Cybersecurity. For a young person like yourself who has this extreme interest, you get put in touch with people who do that thing you want to do, whether it's at a conference or as part of this group, how do you approach those meetings and interactions with people? And what did you seek to get out of it? I don't think everyone knows how to approach getting into a community in a new area, I think is my point. So the biggest thing for me was how could I help people out, right? I think people like to think of relationships as transactional. So someone pings you on LinkedIn john and say hey john i want a job you're like well then well hello first right how are you doing they're like again i need i want a job at this company can you help me get my resume you're like i literally just met you five minutes ago i don't know your work ethic who you are so it's very hard for me to refer you to something right and so people don't know how to network right we're not buying a happy meal from mcdonald's you're trying to build a relationship so treat it as such which I don't think college always does a proper job of that. Um, so that's something that we stress towards our students as well and how to actually properly network. And that's something that I learned, I think, naturally through trial and error. I'll, I'm not going to lie. I was that young college student. I didn't know how to network. So I just asked people for jobs and they're like, no, I don't know who you are. A lot of rejection. So that's that's one of the things that um, I had to learn. And once I got in Blackstone Cybersecurity, I tried to impart that knowledge in younger students as well, right? Here's how we properly build connections. Here's how we network. Here's how to run an event. Here's how to talk to somebody. Um, and I go ahead and try to practice this, right? And like every, like everything, there'll be trial and error. At first, you'll hear crickets. I did. I had to beg to talk to people to try to get a job or internship team. Nobody wants to talk to me. Everyone says, you need experience. But, but I'm like, well, you need to give me opportunity. They're like, well, you need experience first. I'm like, well, I need an opportunity first. So that's cyclical, uh, that's cyclical cycle. So it was a lot, but... I'm glad I got that experience, I would say. That's fascinating. Uh, you know, Nick and I, I think I was telling you before we started recording, met in a uh, community group 
an online community group and that interaction with people who have more experience than you that, you know, kind of transmit that knowledge and you kind of do that all out in the open and then you start to see patterns and eventually you start to become the person who says, well, I've, I've actually seen that question asked before and here's the, the kind of best few ways to approach, you know, gaining those skills or, or whatever. And it is really interesting that you talk about networking because you're right. I think that college doesn't do like a great job of teaching you how to network, but then there's a whole lot of things to learn in college, you know, academically. And I think some of the, the social parts of it are not in the curriculum, you know, unless it's a, there's a special curriculum for it or an outside, outside curriculum. Sometimes there's like a, a special like, you know, well, we're between quarters for a week and, and then we'll teach you like one class. I've seen some, some things like that, you know, like how to use LinkedIn effectively, how to, how to do networking. That's, you're absolutely correct in that it's a skill and it's a critical skill to develop in order to get a job and maintain your career in a, in an upward trajectory or in a continuous trajectory. And there's no real coursework on how to do it. I don't know what the solution is, except like kind of one-on-one or, you know, people writing blogs or recording videos talking about it. Yeah, it's because we would have events, but they never taught us how to actually talk to people. So people walk in a room and we're like, what are we supposed to do? And we're standing around like really awkward. <laughs> well, I know that I'm supposed to bring 50 copies of my resume. When I meet somebody, I hand them my resume. I, I, I Somebody told me that once and that's like, okay, well, that's also not that helpful. I mean, it's better than nothing, honestly. But uh, <laughs> it also probably ages me because I don't think people bring physical copies of the resume anymore. It's a business card with a QR code on the back now, John. Oh, a physical card. Yeah, yeah. Connect. Or maybe even a QR code that's on your phone. You? you got a picture of it and somebody can just scan it. How about that? Yeah, it's it's almost as if, to your point, Kenneth, earlier, we should be broadcasting from the rooftops, maybe not like shouting it, but at least bringing it up with the people that we meet, what we're working on and what we're interested in as we talk to them and meet them because they may just straight up offer to help you. Oh, how can I help you get there? Do you need help from with some of that? It's just my thought. I agree. I would think it would be super beneficial. If people are afraid to tell people what they're doing, they think I may laugh in your face. A lot of times that's never going to happen. They'll just honestly probably annoy you if they don't like you or don't care about what you're saying. Um, so that's the worst thing. I, I tell people that, all right, the worst thing that's going to happen to you is you won't get a response, right? No one's going to like come to your house and break your leg. That, that's not going to happen. Like you just won't get a response, right? And being okay with rejection takes a lot. It takes certain a lot of time, a lot of maturity, I would say, to get over that. But you'll see people on LinkedIn where they're like, start bad-mouthing the entire process, which we all know, right? The process isn't the best, right? But you just being continued negative about that, that's not going to help you in any way, right? People don't want to work with somebody like that. When you do that publicly, it hurts your job prospects and your opportunities to network and help, with, and help other people. So that's why I never try to be neg- negative on social media because there's right enough negativity in the world. So I try to be as positive as possible. Maybe it's best to seek to be curious. Hey, what are you working on, person that I just met? And then tell them about, then I can say what I'm working on. Instead of just fronting with, hey, here's what I'm working on. Give me a job, just like you said. It's either that or, so part of my, I would say, training for um, becoming like, like an, a, a basically business owner. Um, I have a business coaching advisor. So she's helped to like recreate our entire LinkedIn page and um, company page. So it's very structured. So for someone that goes on it, knows instantly like what I do and how I can help them out. And I have I have an insane amount of free resources, right? I do stuff like this with different people, different podcasts, different articles, different videos, um, which is all posted on our side of our channel and on my LinkedIn page. So when someone comes to me and asks me a certain question, I'm like, all right, here's here's three links, to three different episodes that I've done on these topics. If you have any questions about it, um, watch the video and then you can ping me. All right. I'll say like 95% of the times they never get back towards me. They ask like really simple questions. Here's three videos I've done on this, right? Give me questions about it. Let me know. Don't hear anything back from them. Just hear crickets. So that's, that's one way that I 
to other people, right? You want to save yourself time, right? Develop a resource that you can give to somebody that they can answer a lot of their questions, right? A lot of times, it's like very basic stuff, right? Like, what should I do to get inside cybersecurity? How can I level myself up, right? And those questions are fine in and of themselves, but you have, to, you have to go a couple layers deeper, right? Like, what specific area in cybersecurity that you want to do, right? What do you want out of your career, right? Which company do you want to work for? What skill sets do you have? Are you doing hands-on training? Do you want to be a leader, right? Do you want to be an engineer, right? You need to have these um, deeper questions, right? And then, then come, to, come to me and ask me the questions because then I can actually talk to you and give you per- personalized advice for that, right? It also sounds like all somebody really needs to do to stand out is actually go to the resources that you suggest, consume them, have some questions, and then get back to you with the questions. Because if you said like, you know, 99% of the time that you don't hear anything, all they need to do is do the work and they'll be in the top 1%. Yeah. I started to say like, you do the bare minimum, you're ahead of most people, honestly. Um, that's what I found throughout my career and honestly life. So if you do like the bare minimum, you're ahead of the game. Well, one group of folks who has to do more than the bare minimum are instructors. So what I would be curious to know, Kenneth, is what made you really enjoy constructing the coursework and teaching people? I guess initially, I'll say my father, because he likes um, teaching people and helping people out. So I think that naturally came for me, from him. It was from teaching those initial classes, right, that kind of developed that. And also, I taught, um, or I volunteered and taught elementary students um, cybersecurity, which is very, very hard. For I did um, the Great American Teaching, right? So I came in as a guest speaker. And when I said Black Hackers, they're like, Batman? I'm like, no. They're like, that is Batman, isn't it? I'm like, no, that's not what Batman... I guess technically that kind of is what he does, right? Um, but not in a sense. It was very hard to like, teach them because they have like scatterbrain, right? So the minute you say one thing, their mind go all the way over to that. So it's very hard to like really simplify it towards the core concepts. But that's where I kind of got my love for teaching, kind of how the natural progressions over the years got from me teaching kids to teaching adults for free for volunteering to me becoming an instructor at University of Houston towards me owning my own company, instructing businesses and professionals. I just got better and better at it. And I tried to improve my processes slowly but surely. And the one thing I tell people that want to teach or instruct, because I often get this pushback that, hey, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. My stuff isn't really unique. Why would I teach this right? Um, maybe hack, the, maybe um, try to hack me already has this or hack the box um, or some other course or program has it. You always have to remember your experiences, your unique values when you teach can get showcased right so somebody may not relate towards um hack the box right it may be too corporate maybe too cookie cutter so when they hear it and they see it they don't really relate towards it which means they don't put in the effort to actually learn and try to study it but when they hear you talk and they see your courses and how you go about teaching things it clicks for them right maybe your personality your attitude how you carry yourself but it all just perfectly meshes together and they can't stop watching your watching your information and learning your stuff so always remember that right you don't have to appeal to everybody, right? You can get like 1% of the market and you'll be set for life. So always just remember just to be yourself and have that unique experiences and values that uh, that you can bring towards the table. If you need help with that, get a business coach, get an advisor, whoever, right? But try to develop that unique voice and that will go a long way into developing your courses and materials. Would you say it's been more challenging to be an instructor in a physical classroom or doing it virtually? Or maybe there are some nuances to each one that you need to keep in mind. I would say it might be harder virtually, actually. But as long as the class sizes aren't like insanely large, it's very hard for you to ignore me I'm in your face compared to what's online where you can have your camera off. So I would say probably instructing in person is a lot easier. I'm um, to see my emotions a lot easier on my face and my facial expressions and my mannerisms. I think that's one aspect of it. On the flip side, it's a lot easier to get people on a virtual call than it is in person, right? So my my audience and my reach is a lot easier to do um, when we do it virtually, which is how we do most of our events right now. So I think it's a give and take. Did you find when you had to initially develop the coursework for Splunk that your Splunk skills or understanding actually improved by needing to teach it to somebody else? Oh, yes, 100%. When you're instructing people, they're really going to test your knowledge, right? So they ask you questions. You're like, oh, wait, do I actually know what that really is? 
that happened a lot of times. So that really like pushed me to like improve my swim skills and knowledge. So that's one of the things that I've tried to continue to do, right? So whenever I develop a course, like I'm developing a supplemental course right now, I've I've ha- I've had to like do extra research, go on labs, document everything because I hate redoing things more than once. So I literally write down step by step. Here's where you click. Here's why you click it. Here's what you download. Here's where you install it. Like step by step by step to the point where if I gave this document towards my grandma, she could do it. That's how simple I want it to be. A lot of times you have technical documentation and then they'll say tutorial, but it'll skip like 20 steps and it'll go from here to here. And you're like, what happened in between here? I, I can't find it online. So I spend 10 hours trying to look for it. And I have to ask somebody, they're like, oh, you, you know, you don't know to do this. So I'm like, no. I'm like, it said tutorial it said no experience needed, but you need the experience, which upsets me. But well, story for a different day. Yeah, that's such an interesting, uh, interesting experience. I've definitely experienced that as well, where I thought I knew something and then somebody, I was teaching somebody and they asked me a question and I went, huh, I don't know the why, but that's something that I have to go back and kind of research, you know, why that, or, you know, what's the philosophy behind something? I I don't know. Maybe it goes back to, there's a television show in the the 90s called er and the the joke the about the emergency room doctors would they would say watch one do one teach one and that's probably not actually a good way to (laughs) to learn you know medicine in an emergency room i assume but it is a good practice in general is to not just watch somebody do something but to actually get hands-on in a lab and try doing it and then try to explain it to somebody else because then you'll find out what the holes are. And one of the most interesting things when people told me, they're like, this stuff is really hard. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, it's supposed to be hard. If people people think they know how to do something, right? They think they know how to like design a solution swamp. But then like when I get inside of my program, they're like, oh, there's a lot of stuff I didn't realize. So I put specifically make myself insanely hard because when you get on that job, I don't want you to be shocked by anything that you see. So that's one of the things I try to do. And people will find out where the gaps in the knowledge are. And like one of the most enjoyable things to me is to teach people, especially for what I do. I like to take people, like transform their lives, give them jobs and opportunities that can change their families, careers, trajectories, lives, give them remote jobs, give them like a $40,000 increase, right? So they're able to take care of their families, invest more, buy a new car, buy a new house, whatever it may be. And it's like the joy and satisfaction I get from that I don't get for my normal job. So that, that's one of the reasons that uh, it keeps me going. Because there are days where I'm like, why am I doing this? Why am I busting my behind to help people that sometimes don't don't really like want it? But days where I get like calls or texts like, hey, Kemp, I just got this job and i not making double what I was making six months ago. Like that keeps me going. That's so fascinating that you said that. First of all, that it is difficult. And because it's difficult, that's why you can get paid. If it was super easy, then there'd be a lot of people who could just trivially do it and then there'd be no value in having the skills. So that's, that's one of the reasons to master those skills. But then that transformation, I, I can totally understand why getting that feedback from somebody, oh, you just helped to change my life, could keep you going. But on the flip side, you just said something interesting, which is helping people who don't actually want help. And I'm I'm assuming that means in your your cybersecurity consulting work, a lot of times people view security as a barrier and not an enabler. Is that kind of what you're speaking to? A little bit. From my my day-to-day job and my um, big four consulting job, yeah, a lot of times they don't fully understand what they need or what they want to do. It always like humorous me. People will give us millions of dollars, but but when we try to help them out, they get upset always just cracks me up and they don't trust us and so i always used to think that all of those shows like um kitchen nightmare or like was a flip my house or things like the nature where people will go, go in to try to help businesses and they'll push back on that i'm like there's no way no one no one ever do that but doing this i'm like yeah people would have to do that so this cracks me up it is just like i'm like yo i'm like if you don't do this you're gonna lose your house your wife's gonna leave you. your kids are gonna hate you why are you <laughs> arguing with them you came he came here to help you out and then the minute, then, then the minute he leaves, they go back and do the same stuff over, and they lose everything. Right. I'm like, why? I'm like, why would you do that? Like, I don't get it. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times, people will treat 
consultants the exact same way. You specifically hire a consultant because the idea is that they've seen enough patterns to kind of say, oh, I understand what it is that your issue is, and I understand the path forward to get you out of it. And then to have the person say, oh, no, I don't want that. (laughs) It's kind of like, well, why am I here then? (laughs) Like they want the rubber stamp somehow, I guess, but they don't actually want the outcome. And they certainly don't want to take any advice. It's that. And then from my business side for ECA, can people can people to like invest in themselves is so difficult, right? Because someone like someone will instantly drop 100k on a new BMW, right? New turbo on leather seats, ventilated seats, moonroof, chrome wheels, right? We tell them, hey, pay me ten thousand dollars, I can change your life. You can make ten times what you're making right now. What ten thousand dollars is insane? I can't do that. Too much money. Crazy. Why? Why do I ever do that? I can do it for free on Udemy. I'm like, oh really? Okay. I'm like, come back to me in a couple months. Come back in a couple months. Hey Johnny, how are you doing? Oh man, I still can't find a job. I'm like, really? Now, like, obviously, um, I don't say that, right? Because I'm not that type of person, but that's what I'm thinking mentally, right? It's crazy to me, right? Because people, I'll get on calls and I'll ask some questions. I'm like, hey, is there anything wrong with with our offer, right? They're like, no, it's perfect. I'm like, great. I'm like, is there any is there any issues with the price? No, no, perfectly fine. It's it's definitely worth it. I'm like, okay, here's the payment link. Let me know whenever you pay. You don't hear anything back from them. I come back, I come back to them a couple of weeks. Hey, I didn't see that you paid. Is something wrong? Oh, well, I don't, I don't really want to sign up for this now. I think it should be fine. I'm like, what do you mean you'll be fine? You came to me two weeks ago saying you want to change your life. So your life, your life's been changed? You got a new job? No, no, no. I still hate my job. Okay, then um, what's the issue? Like, I, I'm not understanding. And they'll, get, they'll get like really defensive. And I'm just like, all right. I mean, if you don't want to do it, it's perfectly fine. But that goes back towards like the sales and marketing part, right? Which I'm not naturally good at. This is why I have a business coach and business team, right? To help me out with that. So like trying to figure out how to craft offers and get inside people's heads, that psychology piece is like, like the last step um, that we're trying to do and trying to like perfect. That, that is uh, that is a harder part for me. The easiest part is like teaching people, right? Because I'm really good at that. Our stuff works. We have results. We have testimonials. You can ask any one of my students, anyone, any one of my clients, they'll vouch for me. To me, that's the easy part. Like convincing people to like, Trust in themselves because you came to me in the first place, right? It's like the biggest thing. Yeah, sales is tough. Closing the deal is non-trivial, right? But sometimes you're doing a little bit of self-selection there, or those people are doing self-selection. If they are daunted by the price and they're just doing nothing, then maybe they're people who would do nothing, even if they paid the price. This is funny. So all this was free initially. People, when I told them to sign up, they're like, Oh, it's gonna be a month. Oh, that's too much time. Uh, I can't do that. I'm like, I, I have other commitments. I'm like, okay. So it's it's the time, it's not money, right? They're like, oh no, 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 you can charge where you want to. I'm like, okay. So I made like the first cohort actually charged for is $85, right? So like I've 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 improved a lot on it, right? But the core material is almost exactly the same for what I'm charging, which is like a thousand dollars or a thousand times more, right? Right. So it's eighty five dollars. And they're like, eighty five dollars, it's kind of pricey. I'm like, what? Pricey? I'm like, no. Nah. And so we we did it really well. People loved it, right? For $85, right? So I'm like, okay, let me charge $1,000 for it. And someone's like, $1,000 for this? Like, can't have so much money. $1,000 for a course? Like, I can go to Udemy for $10 and get this. Then you should do that. <laughs> I, I was like, hold up. I'm like, hold up, hold up, hold up. I'm like, you initially said it was time. You said it wasn't money. And then I went, I started charging you, you said it was money. So which, so which one is it? Because if, because if I make this free, you won't do it. And I, don't, and I don't like to make a product where people won't use. Because that, that personally offends me, right? Because I put my blood, sweat, and tears into this. Hundreds of hours to develop this content. So if someone, someone buys it or gives it, give it for free and they don't use it, that personally offends me. That's why I charge our, our services and products. Because they work and they change people's lives. And the more I'm able to charge, the better service I'm able to give. I'm able to bring in more recruiters, more hiring managers, more partners. Which will then enhance your experience. And then a the positive feedback will, will, will continue. So when people tell me... Hey, I can get this on Udemy. I'm like, well, then why haven't you done that right? But that stuff's been free for years. Right. But you're still in the same spot. So is it really is it really the price or just something else that's going on? I, I agree. The idea is that you are providing value above that baseline of Udemy. So if they don't understand that, then they're selecting out. I have decided that that is not important to me, is kind of what they're saying. And when they said before that, 
they hated their job and they wanted to do something different. They didn't hate it enough and they didn't want to do something different hard enough to actually do something different. Because as you said, if they were willing to do the Udemy, then the barrier is, I don't know, $10 a month. So they should do that. And if they, <laughs> if they don't, if that's not the issue, then what is the issue? At a deeper level, what I think you're saying, John, is that a lack of action is more than just knowing what you should do. Like for someone to take an action in any direction, it's more than, okay, knowing, yeah, that's good for me or that would help me. There's a emotional, psychological piece to it that has to move in some direction. Yeah, there's there's a lot of inertia to overcome, right? People have been doing nothing for a long time, just kind of sitting still. So in order to move forward, you have to overcome a lot. And that's not necessarily your job. <laughs> your job is to provide the option so that when they do self-motivate to move forward, you're one of the options that they can move forward with. Engaging with a coach to improve your sales process might you can make that as as great as it could possibly be, but you know there's a lot of, as you said, psychology to overcome. So one of the things that that person might need in order to move forward is to actually engage with like a therapist or a psychologist to figure out some stuff. Like, why am I not doing anything? A lot of times what I do, I have to be kind of like a mindset coach as well because our stuff does work, but students will have that self-doubt. That could be either... Because they have no one's ever, I really believed in them in this field that they've been beaten down, or they trusted somebody to help them out. Because there are a lot of scammers out in this field, right? And so they trusted the wrong boot camp or wrong program or whatever, wrong coach. So now they have trust issues, right? So it's like pulling teeth along the way because they're always hesitant about what I say and what I do. So a lot of times it is being a mindset coach and trying to help them mentally get through their pains and uh, self doubts. So that's another one of the big things that I had to work through with, with some of my students. Again, like I can see, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. They always can't. So I told them you have to trust me. And again, you pay me a lot of money to trust me. So trust me. That's another big thing as well. And it's just always so enjoyable to see once they reach that goal. They're always like, how did I, how did I not see that that, that this was going to happen? I'm like, I don't know how you didn't see it, how how this wasn't going to happen. All right, I've been, I've been trying to tell you for the past six months. So it's always like insanely enjoyable to see uh, the growth professionally and personally. Yeah. Objection handling is really tough. And um, you can ask those people for testimonials, but until they turn into like a, you know, a mentor or, you know, a volunteer to like kind of tell their story to people who have the same types of object objections, like, you know, sometimes even then that that's not enough for some people. It's nothing's ever enough. Yeah, I would definitely say so. So like one of my favorite, I would say, student success stories is like Hazel. So Hazel was like a, um, she was a college graduate from UT Arlington, so University of Texas Arlington. She graduated. She couldn't find a job for six months. So her biggest thing, and I did it. I did an interview with her two weeks ago. Her biggest thing was confidence. Right? She was a very, she's a very naturally timid and shy person. So on the call, I thought I thought something happened like at home because she was insanely quiet. I'm like. Hazel was everything kind. She said, "Yeah, yeah." She's like, "I'm fine. I'm super quiet." So that was what, that was one thing I recognized that I'm going to work on her for this, right? To kind of pull her out of her own shell. So to like see to see her growth through the program. So this was when the program was only five weeks. We were in the beta phase. She grew such a large amount in that short time. I could tell she was nervous during the final capsule presentation, but she still pushed pushed through and she prepared properly, which is the biggest thing. And so after the program ended, we helped her look for a job. She got a job within, I want to say, maybe three to four weeks. So now she works at um, Samsung as a QA um, test engineer. She has stock options. She has full benefits, dental medical. And so she went from making like $0 to $50,000 within like two months, basically. Um, so she's one of my favorite success stories. Um, she's trying to come out of her shell more. So I'm, I started to take her to more local Dallas events because she's local to the area. So whenever there's like a women's cybersecurity meetup, I'll take her there and I'll introduce her to introduce her to people to try to get her to network with more people um if i take my student successes very seriously so if they're especially if they're local i'm more will i'm more than happy to take them to lunch or take them to meet somebody
Hopefully you heard the lesson reiterated that we should tell our managers what we're interested in and what we want to do with our career. For Kenneth, he communicated to his manager that he was interested in technology. That manager made a connection to a director of cybersecurity that told Kenneth exactly what he needed to do to get into that field, but also the director of cybersecurity educated Kenneth on what that field actually was. So when that director gave Kenneth a shopping list of items to do, including certifications to get, conferences to attend, in order to get into the cybersecurity internship, he did that. He started doing it right then because he was so excited about the chance. It doesn't always work out that way. And when people give us advice, we may choose to take it or not take it. In this case, the excitement level was there and it was enough for Kenneth to go ahead and get started. And I hope this story, again, echoes the lesson for managers that they should seek to help the people under their care make connections and provide guidance in their areas of interest, even if that means the person will eventually leave your team, because it's better for the individual. The discussion of people reaching out to Kenneth on LinkedIn made me think of one of the ideas from Deep Work by Cal Newport. If you go back and listen to episode 147, we talk about the concept of becoming hard to reach. And it's not that you aren't reachable. It just means that in order to scale and provide knowledge and help for a larger quantity of people, some of your work has to be asynchronously consumed. You're not going to be able to talk to every person who might need your help, but you can create content just as Kenneth did in the form of videos or podcasts or maybe blogs that people can consume on their own and then come back to you with additional questions. And that way, it's the additional questions that you are answering in more detail, and it doesn't take you maybe as much time to answer those as it would if you were answering the same question for a hundred different people that reached out to you that you could just document on a blog or in a video somewhere that they could watch later. I like what Kenneth said about having more specific questions and following up after watching some of the collateral he provides to people. So if I give you these resources to think about and consume and you follow up with additional questions, that actually makes you stand out because not everybody's going to take the time to consume what was given to them. And it's not, it's not being rude if you do this and you have this collateral that people can go and listen to or consume on their own. It just has to do with the problem of each of us only having so much time in a day and only being able to have enough time for so many people. How about that becoming an instructor? From what we heard, it sounded like someone that was part of the Blackson Cybersecurity Group encouraged Kenneth to come and make coursework for them and to continue to make coursework for that group. And this was just part of the experience Kenneth gained teaching people at different levels. He even mentioned teaching people in elementary school about cybersecurity. So he had the chance to iterate on the things that he wanted to say, the coursework that he built, so that he could fine-tune it and make sure that it was more accessible to even the beginner. And he talks about that even in making documentation. I do love good documentation, personally. Hopefully you do too. We've all probably found that documentation that's supposed to be for the absolute beginner, but it does leave out steps. So when Kenneth was talking about making sure not to leave out steps, making his documentation accessible for the beginner, that really resonated with me because just making the content accessible to more audiences a lot of times makes it more relevant. There is a very real contrast to long-term investment and instant gratification. And it's a struggle for people, especially when you need to invest in something that will make you better over time. Whether it's pursuing this certification, taking this boot camp, being a part of this special cybersecurity program, you might actually see the value in spending the money but maybe it's the time commitment where you have the problem. Or maybe you know it's exactly the right thing to do, but you can't make the decision to just do it. 
there's this psychological side to that decision that is a struggle for a lot of people. It's almost like encouraging someone to go on a diet. They might know that they need to go on a diet because they need to lose weight, or you might know that you need more sleep because you're always tired and you're constantly sleep deprived. To do something like that requires a bit of a change in habit or a change in routine or to build a new habit. And so if we're going to be part of a program like like the cybersecurity program that Kenneth mentions, we actually have to take the time away from some other area, whatever that may be, and invest the time. And I think it's it's harder to do for yourself. We oftentimes get concerned more with the things that are right in front of us, the challenges that we need to tackle right now versus the things we need to be prepared for in six months or a year or even farther out than that. Brendan Burchard consistently talks about looking at your goals each day to remind yourself of the things that you want to achieve. And maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's something that we don't do enough. We don't have that longer term focus because there's no doubt we have we each have things that we have to do every single day. But could you take a little bit of time each day to better your career, whatever that is? Maybe it's just thinking about the things you like and don't like about the work you're doing right now. Thinking about the impact you make. Is that the impact you want to be making? Do you want to be making more of an impact? Thinking about the the culture of the company, the culture of the team. Do you like that? Do you resonate with it? Is this what you want? But you have to take some dedicated time to do this work. So I wish you good luck, dear listener, because it's something I struggle with. Even being a co-host of this podcast, I still struggle with it. So what else is left to talk about in part two with Kenneth? He's going to share a little bit more about how he has to act as a coach and a mentor to his students at the Ellington Cyber Academy, but we'll have to talk about that next week. Just a reminder, we'd like people to subscribe and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. We want to know if we're being helpful and are always looking for interesting questions to ponder. We're collectively on Twitter, at NerdJourney. Farewell, listeners. Tune in next time as the journey continues. I'm John White at BJourneyman, for Nick Cordy at NetworkNerd underscore, signing off. Adios. Adios.